Am I good? Is this on? Am I doing stuff? Yeah. Hey, guys. Pastor Loudon, I'm over Community and Connections here at Mercy Hill. I am really excited to be here because about six years ago, I used to be a youth director, and I love getting to talk with you crazy, crazy kids. The difference between, the difference between like back then and now, uh, I realized I got a lot older, and y'all are pretty much the same age, which is kind of weird. So anyway, let's, uh, let's dive into uh, James chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and go to James chapter 4. And while you're going there, I'm going to tell you a story. It won't be necessarily a short story because it's about uh, a guy that I think is amazing named William Tyndale. But let's uh, go ahead and get there. All right. Chapter 4. Very good. All right. So back in 1494, there was a guy named William. He was born in a little town called Gloucestershire over in England. And back then, it was... It looked very similar to kind of what it does today. It hasn't changed too much. In fact, it was rumored that J.R.R. Tolkien based the Shire. How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Yeah. The Shire, all that. He actually based it off of that. So you get to kind of see a picture of where William is from. Beautiful kind of rolling hill. Ooh, that's different. Uh, Beautiful rolling hills, grass, sheep, providential, very, very beautiful, idyllic English countryside. Pretty cool. So William's life is pretty solid because he lives in a really nice little spot. Also, what helps is that his parents are loaded, okay? They're rich, which is great. And as William's growing up, he decides he's going to go to college. If you're going to go to college in England and you want to go to a nice, fancy one, just somebody guess, which one would you go to? Oxford? Guess where William went? Exactly. Glad he didn't say Cambridge. That would have been awkward. He went to Oxford, which is a very old school. But so he goes to Oxford, and at 21 years old, he decides he's going to study theology. But the thing is that they don't really use the Bible to study theology, because back in the 1500s, the Bible only existed in like three languages. Hebrew, Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, we won't worry about that, and Latin, which is what the church approved. They only approved of the Latin version along with the Greek and the Hebrew. He wanted to study theology, which is the study of God, and they didn't use the Bible. It's a little weird. It's actually happening a lot more in colleges across the United States seminaries uh, as we uh, progress in our culture, but that's a different thing. That's not for you, that's for the adults. We, um, we see William decides that he's going to start studying, and not only is William from a great place, not only is his, are his parents loaded, he's also a genius. So he moves back to Gloucestershire, and he becomes a tutor. He becomes a family's teacher for their children, so he's got loads of time. He's like a teacher with only like four kids. He's got loads of time. So what he does is he takes all that extra time and he starts to study the Greek and the Hebrew Bible. As he's studying it, he starts to learn stuff on his own, apart from the church at the time, which only allowed the Latin version to to be taught. So as he's learning, he's starting to tell people stuff that he's finding in the scriptures. Because that's something that happens as you read the Bible more. You start to see things that you didn't see before, and then you want to share it because there's something happening there. And as he does that, he he actually teaches some folks, and then he ends up preaching. And it's not long before William finds himself brought before the church with the accusation of heresy. Now, something about the church in the 1500s. So here, if you were to commit heresy, we would ask you to leave. Okay, there they set you on fire. It's very. Do- you ever get called to the principal's office? But like instead of like instead of him being armed with attention, he's got a gun. No, yeah, me either. That's kind of the situation William's looking at. Is he's he's looking 
at a tribunal who are going to then find out if he is guilty of heresy. They say that he's not. That was a close one. It's a close one. He walks away from that, and he's not guilty. But they basically say, hey, watch yourself. And they give William kind of, really, in William's mind, he's only got really three choices. I can, he can shut up and stop preaching and teaching from the Bible that he's reading in Greek and Hebrew. Or he can go and teach all of his friends. Option two is he can go teach all of his friends Hebrew and Greek. Uh, sounds pretty easy, right? No. So he can't do that. Option one is shut up. Option two is teach everybody Hebrew and Greek. And William decides, option three, what if I take the Bible and I put it into English? This is not an easy thing. Now, William, he knows English because he's from England. He knows Greek and Hebrew because he's been studying and he's a genius. Why hasn't anybody done this to this point? Because he knows it's a death sentence. He knows that as soon as he puts pen to paper, they'll kill him right away. So he flees. He gets out of England because he knows that he can't do it there. He goes to Germany, where at the same time, Martin Luther has, uh, has started the, what's called the Great Reformation, where they basically push back against the Pope and said, hey, um, we believe that the gospel is for the people and it's not to be just controlled. It's to be given and shared and openly loved. So he goes to a place where he can write, where he has some sympathizers, and he starts to write the Bible into English. Moderately savvy, he starts to move around his, uh, move around Germany, and then he has to move around the rest of Europe in order to kind of avoid being killed because the Pope's mad at him, the King of England's mad at him, bishops, priests, everyone wants to kill this guy because he's putting the Bible into English. He ends up in Antwerp. Anybody want to, anybody know where Antwerp is? What country that's in? It's in Belgium. I don't know why that's going to, that's probably going to be the only thing you learn from tonight, but hey, that might save your life if you're on the amazing race. He ends up in Antwerp in Belgium, and he becomes friends with a guy named Philip, uh, Henry Phillips. And Henry befriends him. They become, they become fast friends. They end up going to lunch and hanging out and sharing a lot of stuff. Uh, but he's not good with money. His friend is not good with money, so he asked William out to lunch. And his entire purpose to take William out to lunch was to betray him, turn him over to the authorities. And he does. And they take him in the year 1536, and they put him on... Uh, on a pole, and they set him on fire because he took the Bible and put it into English. The very book that you have in your hands right now was born in blood in so many different ways, and I, I wanted to tell you that story because I just, I love how the history of where we come from, how we got into this very room, which is moderately comfortable, it's a story that's born in blood and passion and desire and intensity, and I think that that is that's something that's kind of amazing that if you give your life to Christ and you share his blood and his sacrifice, you get to become a part of a legacy that's just incredibly deep, meaningful, and powerful. So as we go into James, I want you to just kind of keep that in your mind. Someone died so that you could just read this uh, and not have to do it in Greek and Hebrew. All right, so James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, 
He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I love this section. This is one of the first times when I was, I think it was like 14 or 15, I had become a Christian and I started to read this passage. And it was one of the first times that I really knew that as I was reading the Bible, it was just as much reading me kind of right back. All right? So like when I say that, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Uh, real quick, everybody in here, raise your hand. Just, just lift it up, leave it up, go higher, you know, like, like extend it all the way. Unlike I can do with my leg. By the way, let me explain real quick. While your hand is up, what happened? I broke my leg skateboarding. Just if you're curious of why I get this really sweet basket. Did y'all have a picture of that, by the way? I haven't shared this with a ton of folks, uh, only the people that like have my phone number. Yeah, that's it. That was my foot. So that's why I get a cool basket and you don't. Broken so many places. Uh, yeah. 13 pins, two plates. It's awesome. Highly recommend. If you ever get a chance, go for it. Um, not fun. All right. So back to what we're actually here for. So you've got your hand up. If within the past six months you have not argued or yelled at anyone, you can put your hand down. Some of y'all lying. All right. No, yeah, I tricked you, I tricked you. you Got to listen to the words there. If it's been, if you haven't argued or yelled with anyone in through the past three months, you can put your hand down. Okay, y'all are my people. That's good. Uh, the last month, you had a month. You've got a good month. You strung four weeks together. Put it down. Nope. All right. Two weeks. Haven't gotten an argument with anybody in two. Nope. All right. Let's go six hours. Six hours. Has it been? All right. Yeah. All right. We'll talk afterwards. Uh, that's fine. How many of you were yelling at somebody in the parking lot before you walked in? Yeah, okay, that's good. All right. So you guys, some of you are like, I am texting in all caps right now. All right, you go put your head down. Uh, you're my people. That's good. Um, here's the thing. This is pretty incredible. What causes quarrels and fights? Every single fight that you have ever gotten into came from one and only one place. It was because you wanted something and couldn't get it. Every time. I started to read this, and I was blown away by the fact that, like, you think back, every, every single argument, what did you want? There was something that you wanted. And the thing that's kind of crazy about this verse is, as you read it, the quarrel and the fight among you, uh, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? When was the last time you yelled internally at yourself? You wanted something. Internally, we argue and fight with ourselves probably more so than we do with people out in the world. My wife and I, we both have, uh, we both studied psychology, and the most helpful stuff in psychology just sounds like kid stuff. And we call, like, whenever we start getting, like, really negative and talking poorly to ourselves, we call it stinky thinking. We also have children, and, and you know, they have poopy butts. You know, that's, right, that's, the, but that's super helpful to actually recognize whenever I start talking to myself super negatively and hatefully, it's because I have something that I want and I can't have it. Is that incredible to you? Did, I mean, I feel like that's a life hack. Because next time you're in an argument, you'll be able to kind of say, okay, I'm going to hit the pause button real quick. What do, okay, so let's say someone's yelling at you. What do they want? And if it's obviously like you haven't cleaned your room, then clean your room. 
It was pretty easy. But next time you start to want to yell at someone or, or bite their head off, what is it that you wanted? Uh, adults in the room, how many times have you uh, gotten into an argument and you didn't even realize that it was something that you wanted and you just hadn't even processed it yet? Uh, yeah, you're feeling me, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, child. That's incredible. The scriptures, this book that William Tyndale died to make sure that we had the chance to read and listen to, it's powerful because not just because you read it and get stuff from it, but you read it and it reads you right back. Keep going. Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Okay, that's a little intense. A little intense. Uh, he may be doing a little bit of a throwback to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were like the first brothers, right? They got to like see and know God, and one of them yeeted a rock at the other one's head and killed him. That's how we started as humanity. Good job. Well done. You want something, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. All right, so James does something here that I think is brilliant. If you don't want anything, you'll never get into a fight. Is that what he's saying? Kind of, yeah. Like, if you don't have any desires that are unmet, if you have everything that you want, fight. So, how many of you want a PS5? Okay, great. Nick, will you go ahead and bring the... I'm kidding, we don't have any... <laughs> So now when you go home, uh, new Xbox, new phone, new something, yeah you, you, yeah, you get to go home now and say, Mom, Dad, Pastor Loudon, the guy that they're not sure about, uh, he said that if we never are going to get into a fight anymore, you've got to give me a PS5. And also Pastor Loudon said that James said that the reason I don't have is because I didn't ask. So Mom and Dad, I'm asking. I'm asking clearly. So you got to give me whatever I want so that we don't fight. Mom, Dad, this is for us. This is so we have peace in the home. Also, I don't have a bedtime anymore. Deal with it. The Bible said it. Uh, maybe, maybe not. God loves you enough to realize, uh, that, to help you realize that it is probably pretty dangerous if you just get everything you want. Because he does this thing where it almost is double talk. There's plenty of times where I've asked God for something and he didn't give it to me. Is anybody in that boat? Have you ever asked God for something and he did not give it to you? Yeah. What a bum deal. You said I don't have it because I don't ask. I just ask and I still don't have it. What? You mean I got to keep reading? All right, let's keep reading. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. The thing that's amazing about this verse is that James knows something and is trying to communicate something to us about how we ask. Because it's not just that you ask, it's who you ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. I don't expect all of you to know Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but it's a, basically a story about a bunch of selfish kids who got everything they wanted all the time, and most of them... Uh, I, you can't like verify it, but I'm pretty sure they all got murdered. So anyway, if you get a chance, rent it. It's fantastic. Uh, you ask, but because you ask wrongly and because God is a good father who loves us and loves us enough to not give us everything that we ask for, because if you were to get everything you asked for, you would be a monster. Look at the adults in the room. How many of you are super grateful for some of the things that God did not give you when you were younger and asked for? 
Yep, and some nods. How many of you are kind of mad that God gave you what you asked for? I'm just kidding. That's a different sermon completely. You spend it on your own stuff. (laughs) You spend it on yourself. God loves us enough to not leave us to where we are just selfish me monsters. James knows who we're supposed to be asking, and he knows how we're supposed to be asking. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is is enmity with God? I like how James does this. He doesn't say, if you want to get what you want from God, you need to be friends with God. He kind of goes to the negative. So James is the friend who's a little bit of a downer sometimes. He's just like, he kind of points out flaws and stuff real quick. Like, you got stuff in your teeth and your flies down, but I love you. I mean, just coming at you hard. Yeah, now you blew it with, with so-and-so. Yeah, she's never going to talk to you again because of this situation. But I love you. Get out of here. So he says, do you not know that if you're friends with the world, you're not going to be friends with God? He doesn't say, you, you need to be friends with God. You need to connect with him. You need to relate with him. He goes the opposite route. He says, do you, do you not realize that if you're chasing after everything the world has to offer, obviously he's not going to give you what you want because you don't care about him because you're not friends. That's a pretty cool way of coming about it. He's coming straight at our hearts whenever we read this today. Let me ask you kind of what your mind goes to as far as what you want. Cars? How many of you, like, yeah, cars, houses, money, right? More, you know, followers on whatever social media platform you're on, right? I was going to say, maybe James is telling us that there's a little bit of a warning there. We have a God who gives graciously and amazingly and abundantly, but if you're chasing after stuff that's just silly and dumb, real quick, uh, how many of you spent more than an hour and a half on TikTok today? Go ahead, raise it up. The adults, I'm looking at you too. Yeah, yeah, it happens, it happens, it does. Yeah, yeah, a lot of you are lying, that's fine, that's cool. Listen to the fact that the scriptures are gonna kind of give you a pretty good warning about what you are investing your time and your heart in because it's about the relationship, not just asking. Let's keep going because there's more good stuff in here. All right, you adulterous people, right? James is a fun guy. Great at parties. You adulterous people, do you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Yikes. Chill, man. That's just intense. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? It tells us that God's heart toward us is that he's jealous for our, like our minds and our affections. God actually wants to know you and spend time with you. But sometimes when people read that passage, like that God's jealous for you, they kind of paint this picture of like God sitting on his hands or like, oh man, I hope they text back. How many of you know somebody in this room who's still, who's still sitting on red waiting for like their ex to text them back? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand, but they looked at somebody, and that was great. That was a good moment for me. That, that has nothing to do with the sermon. That was just fun. All right. God is not doing that. God is not you like, oh, man, I hope, I hope they like that post. He's not doing that. He's powerful, the maker of all things. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, oh, sorry, but he gives more grace. That is the great hope of this text. 
if you kind of look around at your life and you kind of think, oh man, I actually do not really want the stuff of God. I really, really just kind of want the stuff of the world. Uh, if that's kind of where your heart and mind is and you're kind of hearing these, these words that are coming out of James and you're like, ah, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about that. A lot of my heart and time is going towards just stuff of the world. He gives more grace. You don't have to be the one to fix yourself. And you're not actually, if you try to fix yourself alone, and I want to kind of point out what the rest of this verse is saying, you're going to be fine. You're not going to do this alone if you actually do what these verses say. All right. Submit yourselves, to, there, uh, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What James wants to remind us of is that Christ and God already came to earth in the form of Emmanuel. He loved us enough to not leave us where we are. He came so that we could then draw near. So if you read this, you're like, oh, I have to, I have to go to God. I have to find my way to God. No, 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 no. James already knows, and he already said it earlier in his, well, his whole life. Uh, he said, Jesus came to save us. You grab onto him, and then with every fiber of your being, you draw near to him. That's pretty amazing. We have a God who will give us everything that we want as long as we ask it rightly. And the only way to ask it rightly is to be in relationship with him. He doesn't want us to just have stuff and we shouldn't just want stuff. It's a thing where a real God loves real people in real ways in this world. That's awesome. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, James, ray of sunshine. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There is a way to God through Christ. You don't have to just sit around and be like, well, I'm going to become a Christian when I'm older. Many of you, I'm going to get to meet in a few of you, but I know by the testament of Dan and his parents, many of you are passionately following after Jesus. And I, on accident, like this is not even on purpose, me and some friends went to the beach on Saturday and there was a bunch of people sharing Jesus. And I was like, oh, cool. I forgot that they were going to be here. And that was amazing to watch people who are kind of told by the media, like if you're, you know, anywhere between 10 and 25 at this point, the world expects you to be an absolute moron. God doesn't. God knows that you're capable of doing incredible things at whatever age you are. And he gives us things to do. We humble ourselves before the Lord. What do we do with all this? This, this fact that the Bible can read you, the fact that the, the, the text can open up the way that the world works. Really, I do want you next time that you like get into an argument or a fight, I want you to take a second and be like, ooh, what do I want? What's happening here? And then get back with me because it's kind of, it is like a superpower because it can help you like in all of your relationships. Uh, I'm saying that as a married man. So if you plan to be married one day, learn this for a lot of reasons. What do we do with all of this though? We give ourselves to the scriptures. We give ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We commit ourselves to learning and, and devoting our hearts and minds to Christ by Submitting ourselves to God, resisting the devil, and drawing near to him. The fact that he invites us to draw near to him. He is perfect and holy, and if I was God, I wouldn't want dirty people around me. And yet he is loving and compassionate enough to say he wants each and every one of you to draw near to him. 
humble yourselves before the Lord and pray for his love and his compassion to come into your life and to dictate your steps so that you get to the place where you are no longer just a person asking God for stuff, but you are a son or a daughter of the king asking for the king's will and for his love to abide even more in your heart and your mind. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all of the students that are in here, as well as the adults. I thank you for the word that you have given us. I thank you for men like William Tyndale who died trying to get your word into the hearts and minds of the people that they love. I pray that these young men and women would commit themselves to the word and love it so much that they would then commit themselves to getting the word into the hearts and minds of the people around them. I more thank you for Christ's Christ's sacrifice, because his death is infinitely worth more than William Tyndale's or any of the martyrs or saints that came after you. You died to save us from our sins. You died to fix us. You see how we fight and quarrel inside of ourselves. You see how we beat ourselves up or yell at ourselves or are just straight mean to ourselves. And yet you want us to come to you and ask for you to provide for us that we don't have to be at war inside of ourselves anymore. So that we don't have to be at war with the people around us. So that we could actually be living and, and, and breathing people of peace. Care about others more than ourselves who are freed from the material stuff and the silly pecking order of social media and, and fame and popularity. You want to free us from that. God, I want to thank you for the prayers that you haven't answered of everyone in this room because of your love for us. I want to thank you for the prayers that you're going to answer as we humbly submit ourselves to you and trust you. Thank you for this incredible group of young people. Thank you for letting me preach to them and to love them with your word. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Rodden. Um, yeah, we're done. Uh, remember to sign up for the uh, events that we...